Get your Bible and turn with me to Philippians chapter 3. And uh, we started a few weeks ago, something we usually do in January. We kind of do a weekend or we do a few weekends and we call it I Heart My Church. I heart my church. And we call it I heart my church because you should actually love your church. It should be fun and enjoyable. You should like to go there. You should like the people. And I call it I heart my church not because I'm pastor. I told someone the other day, I said, if I didn't pastor this church, I'd go to it. And they said, why? I said, because I like the people so much, I'd hang out with them even if I wasn't the pastor. And not every pastor I met could say that. I met some pastors like, I wouldn't go to my church if I wasn't the pastor of my church. That's a bad place to be. Thank God. So that's why I love my church, because I love the people. I love how God's changed my life, how God's used the people in this church to change my life, how God used the people in this church to challenge me and to help me grow. I just, I love my church. I love everything. I love my church because we're a church of imperfect people. We kicked all the perfect people out. Because they were delusional anyway, and God can't work with delusional people. So we said, until you realize you're just as screwed up as everybody else, you can't even come back here. <laughs> like, we got a church full of people with rough edges and rough corners and ugly places, and that's the only kind of people God has. It's the only kind of people that God uses. God only uses jacked up people because every person's jacked up, right? And so we just embrace it. Like, yeah, I'm screwed up. You know what I mean? Here, the, the pastor has a therapist. Not because he's a pastor, but, but because he's crazy. That's why he has a therapist. And so, like, it, you know, we're already starting up with a messed up pastor, right? I mean, we set the bar low, you know. Jesus said, low, I'll be with you always. We set the bar low, you know. And so... We're just messy people, and I love my church, and we've talked about a few things, and I want to talk about something today that I'm excited to talk about. So if you're there in Philippians chapter 3, I'm going to read. It's a powerful text, really, that Paul is giving us. He's writing to the Philippian church. It's, he's in jail in Rome, got arrested in Jerusalem. Now he's in jail in Rome. It's his first imprisonment in Rome. He's, at this point, he's done three missionary journeys, planted churches, done all types of cool stuff, but now he's in prison and he's writing to the Philippians and, and he's, he's bragging on them about some things that they've done. And he's, he's, and he's telling them things like one of the themes of Philippians is joy, you know, because he's telling them, you know, count all things for joy. Well, he's practicing what he's preaching. So he's in a prison and he's preaching about joy. You know, you're spiritually mature when you're in prison for preaching and you're in prison preaching about joy. God has moved in your life. Most of the Western church, we get a hangnail. We're not sure if there's a God anymore. You know what I'm saying? And Paul's in prison. prison. He's preaching. And, and he writes one of, one of my favorite, one of the most powerful texts, I think, in the Bible. He says, I once thought these things were valuable, but now I consider them worthless because of what Christ has done. Isn't that kind of what happens when you meet Jesus? Like before you met Jesus, you thought some things were important and you thought some things were valuable and you'd spend all your time and all your money, all your energy, and you're pursuing these things because this is important and that's important. Got to have this, got to get there, got to get this person, want these people to like me, got to be accepted. And then you met Jesus and you're like, man, that's garbage. None of that stuff even matters anymore. This, is there anybody that this happened to you? This is now what's important in my life. Yeah. Man, God will reprioritize your life in a hurry. Paul goes on to say in verse 8, yes, everything else is worthless when compared to the infinite value of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. 
For his sake, I've discarded everything else, counting it all as garbage so that I could gain Christ and become one with him. I no longer count on my own righteousness through obeying the law. Rather, I become righteous through faith in Christ. For God's way of making us right with himself depends on faith. That's a good sermon. Verse 10, I want to know Christ and experience the mighty power that raised him from the dead. Now, I'm all with Paul until this next sentence. I want to suffer with him and share in his death. Paul was inspired, y'all. He was for real, because you got to be for real or drunk to write that. I'm sharing in his death so that one way or another I will experience the resurrection from the dead. Verse 12, he says, I don't mean to say that I've already achieved these things or that I've already reached this perfection. You could put the word maturity there where it says perfection. He said, I'm not as mature as this already, but he said, I'm going to press on. I'm going to possess the perfection for which Christ has first possessed me. He said, brothers and sisters, I'm not there yet. I haven't achieved it. But I focus on this one thing, forgetting the past and looking forward to what lies ahead. I press on. You know, some of you'd have a good year if you'd just forget the past and press on. If you'd forget the mistake and press on. If you'd forget what happened in that relationship and press on. If you'd forget what mama said, the boss said, your daddy said, or your friend said, or somebody posted on Facebook. If you'd just forget it and press on, you'd probably have a better... I'm preaching and you're not helping. We're supposed to be working together. Just press on. He said, I press on to reach the end of the race and receive the heavenly prize for which God through Christ Jesus is calling us. And I love Paul because Paul then writes verse 15. He says, let all who are spiritually mature agree on these things. In other words, I'm right. And then he goes on to say, and if you disagree at some point, I believe God will make it plain. In other words, I'm right. And if you don't agree, God's going to tell you I'm right. You got to love Paul. Say, so God's going to make it plain to you. I love this text and I love the series that we're doing because in this series, you know, we, we love our church and we have some values. And what we've been talking about the last three weeks is just drilling down on this value of healthy things grow. It's one of the first value we had as a church that, hey, this is not about trying to grow a big church, this is about trying to grow healthy people. And that was our first value. And that's kind of what Paul is saying here. You know, it's interesting because like I said, he's been three missionary journeys. He's been shipwrecked, snake bitten. I mean, this guy, they would, they would bring cloths and handkerchiefs and, and he would pray on them, right? And they would take the cloth to people who were sick and dying and they would get well. That's powerful when your perspiration carries resurrection. I mean, this is Paul, and, and, and Paul's now in prison, and he's talking to the Philippians, and, and he even, doesn't even seem to be in a bad mood. And here's what he's telling. He's like, first of all, he's congratulating, talking about their faith and their giving and all that. And, and then he gets to this place, and he says, hey, I'm going to let you all in on something. He said, God is calling me to a level that I haven't yet achieved. God is asking me to grow in a way that I haven't grown yet. He said, God is calling me to a place. He's saying, there's, there's a perfection or there's a maturity that I haven't reached. This is Apostle Paul. Some people called him a super apostle, wrote 27% of your New Testament. It's Apostle Paul. I'm just asking this question. If, if the Apostle Paul at this point in his life could reach a place where he said, guys, there's a new level of growth for me, do you think it'd be safe for most of us to say there's probably a new level of growth for us? I don't know about y'all. No one's taken my handkerchief and down to the hospital yet. 
You know, I mean, Paul, Paul raised the dead. One of them he killed. He was preaching so long, a man fell asleep, fell out of a window and died. Well, you may think I preached a long time, but I hadn't killed anybody yet. Right? But then he just went down and raised them up. And then it became an illustrated sermon. Right? I mean, you don't mess with this man. Put him in prison. He'll just preach, preach to churches about joy. And here's what Paul says. He says, hey, guys, God's calling me to a, a higher place. God's, and, and this is what he said. I haven't achieved it. I'm not there yet. But God's called me to a new level. What kind of year would we have if we could all see that no matter where we're at or how screwed up we are or how screwed up we think we are, that yet the God of the universe is calling us to a new place, a greater maturity, a fresh anointing, a, a new place in him, a destiny, and a purpose, and a calling that maybe we haven't been able to walk in, but God never gives up on us. And God doesn't matter where we're at or what we look like or what we think when we see in the mirror because it's not our opinion that matters. It's really his. And God said, you may not be there yet, but it's okay. If you'll trust me, I can take you to a new place. And that's what Paul is declaring to the Philippians. Even after all of this, God has a greater place and a greater purpose for me. And so, now if you're going to clap, you got to clap crazy because I'm not a golfer. This is a golf clap. This is a... Ah! That's what I'm talking about. Throwing the babies out of the balcony, screaming. That's what I'm talking about. That means we're having church. <laughs> I'm not on the 17th green. Oh, they part. No, no, anyways, break. But I, I call this message what I think Paul was declaring to the Philippians, what I think all of us could declare this weekend, and it would change us forever. Because what Paul, if you surmise, in my opinion, what he's saying, he's telling the Philippian church, I've got to grow. Guys, this is what I really, I may be in prison for preaching the gospel, but there's a new place. I, I've got to grow. Maybe you could look at somebody right now and tell them, I've got to grow. Just make that declaration. I've got to grow. If I'm going to get to where God wants me to be, now, don't tell them you've got to grow. That's a quick trip to a divorce. Use some wisdom and turn to them and say, I've got to grow. I've got to. There's a place i got to go in God. Excuse me, I'm not going to stay here. I've got to grow. I think that's what Paul was saying. And so um, it's cool when you look at this because really Paul brings um, the ideas we've talked about the last two weeks. You remember uh, uh, two weeks ago we talked about a visolution. You see, we don't need a New Year's resolution. We need a New Year's visolution, right? We need a vision for this year. We need to know what God wants to do in our lives this year. Isn't that what we said? And, and, and Paul actually says that in this text. He said, I've got to press on for the goal of the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. In other words, Paul's like, I've got a vision of what God's trying to do in my life. I've got a vision of my next step. I've got a vision of where I need to go. So Paul's having a visolution just like we had a visolution, right? And then last week, we talked about cutting back to the next level. And what we said is sometimes the enemy of where I want to be tomorrow is something I'm unwilling to stop doing today. And we said sometimes going to where God wants us to go is not about adding something to our life. Sometimes it's about taking something out of our life. It's not about starting something new. Sometimes it's about stopping something that needed to end a long time ago. And so this is what Paul said. He said, I'm counting all these things that used to be valuable to me as garbage. In other words, Paul said, I made some cutbacks. So he's got a vision and he's made some cutbacks. And then he gives us to me three ingredients after that that are necessary if we're going to go on to where God's calling us to go, if we're going to grow the way God's calling us to grow. 
And the first one is this. He said, I've got grace. I've figured out grace. I think the psalmist with the psalmist Megan trailer that said, I'm all about that grace, about that grace, no devil or something like that. Wasn't that the psalmist? Anyways, I don't know about her theology, but sometimes I hear songs the way I think they should have been done. But anyway, that's just me. But he said, he said, I understand grace. Here's what he said. First of all, he said in verse nine, Philippians three, verse nine, he said, and become one with him, becoming one with God. He said, I no longer count on my own righteousness through obeying the law. In other words, it's not about my works, not about what I do. I don't earn my relationship with God because Paul had lived his whole life trying to earn his relationship with God. He said, I know I can't earn my relationship with God. So he said, I'm not depending on my own righteousness through obeying the law. He said, I become righteous through faith in Jesus. For God's way of making us right with himself depends on faith. And so Paul said, i got to understand, if I'm going to grow, I have to understand, first of all, how to have a relationship with God. Here's what he's saying. I'm not living for righteousness. I'm living from righteousness. I'm not living this way to try to get right with God. I'm living this way because Jesus has made me right with God. I'm not living for victory. I'm living from victory. Right? I'm not trying, I'm not trying to win a victory through the ways and the things that I do. I'm living from the victory of Christ. It's his work that is finished, and I get to start where he finished. I don't have to redo everything. Right? He ran the race for me. He finished well and he rose again. And now I get to start right there. And so Paul's saying this. I used to think that being right with God was about all the stuff that I did. Now I know being right with God is about what Jesus did. And if I believe in what Jesus did, I get to be right with God. And I start right there and move forward. I'm not living my life trying to get right with God. See, if I'm living my life trying to get right with God on my worst day, i got to hide from him. But if I'm living from righteousness on my worst day, he's still real close to me. Now, which God do you want? And so Paul said, I've, I've kind of figured, here's why you got to have grace to grow. And I've said this several times, but the reason you have to have grace to grow is because grace allows me to be honest with myself about myself. Right? Grace allows me, if I really understand that I'm not trying to earn acceptance, I'm living from the acceptance of God, then grace allows me to be really honest with me and God and everybody. In other words, without grace, see, I have to pretend everything's all right. Without grace, I got to convince God I'm okay. Without grace, I got to come into the church and just pretend that everything's together and just worship. I may have cussed my wife out in the car, but now I'm the head deacon. And so I'm going to sing just as I am like everybody else. Then take a smoke break between services and sing it again. Right? But if I have grace, then I, I can apologize to my wife and walk in and say, guys, I need prayer this morning. I really lost it, and I shouldn't have done that. And know that what I've done doesn't change how accepted I am. That's why legalistic churches and judgmental churches can't ever grow mature believers. Because all you have is a bunch of fake people pretending to be holy when they're just as screwed up as everybody else. And so Paul says, hey, if I don't have an atmosphere of grace, I can't grow. I've said it several times. You know what grows in the atmosphere of grace? Two things, unrighteousness and righteousness. And we need unrighteousness to grow so that we can deal with it and people can help us deal with it. And we certainly need righteousness to grow. And so Paul said, hey, you got to have grace because you're never going to be honest and grow. What do you say? I'm not there yet. You're never going to be honest and grow until we understand grace. And then, and then he said this. 
Uh, or then here's the, the second reason you need grace is because grace in its simplest form is unmerited favor. Let me say it another way. God gives me stuff I didn't earn or deserve. Right? And so growth is going to happen by God doing stuff in my life I couldn't do for myself. That's why we need grace to grow. I don't know. It, it, there's no such thing as self-help. Y'all know that, right? If we could all help ourselves, then I don't guess Jesus would have even needed to visit. Because if you found this to be true, there's an end to the internal structure or discipline that you can put in your life. Like, for instance, uh, several years ago, I, I lost this, uh, quite a bit of weight and kind of got down to the size I am now. And for the last three or four years, probably I've been this size. And I stopped really short of my goal. There was a few more pounds I wanted to, to lose, but truthfully, I like cake. <laughs> and I found out at this weight, I know how much cake I can eat and not really gain weight, right? And that's a balanced life. And so... And so I just realized, and, and I would tell, like Julie, I'd say, well, I just don't want to buy new clothes. You know, if I lose a little bit more, I'll have to buy new clothes. Man, I'll be a good steward. No. Truthfully, I just like cake. All right, so, and so we were talking. I told Julie this year, I said, this year I got to do it. I got to go on to my goal. I got to press on. <laughs> I got to. And so, and so I said, hey, I probably need some help. She said, we can work on some things. We can do some things. But what I realized, I reached the end of where my internal structure could take me. And without some, some, some positive reinforcement from outside to help provide some structure that obviously I'm lacking, I'm not going to reach my goal. See, there is no self-help, but there is God help. And most of the time, God helps through people. That's why we do life groups. Right? Because in your life group, you go to a safe place for your friends. I love my life group. When I go to my life group, I'm not even the pastor. I'm just Marty. I'm just as screwed up as them. They all pray for me, try to help me. They're trying to get me saved. I'm thinking about it. <laughs> <laughs> but, but we need people around us that support us and encourage us. And not just give accountability. Accountability just means I'm counting mistakes. It's the supplement of support, acceptance, and love that pushes us over the edge. You see what I'm saying? And, and, so, and so we need that, and it comes from people. In fact, Peter said it this way, 1 Peter 4.10, Peter said that we're all stewards of God's grace in its various forms. See, you can't be you without us. <laughs> I can't be me without you. We're all in this together, right? We got to have each other. And that's what Paul's talking about because Paul's saying, hey, God's given me some stuff I can't get. He's given me acceptance. Well, where's that acceptance coming? It can come through people. He's going to give me love. Where's that love going to come? It's going to come through people, right? God's given me his spirit. He's given me his divine nature. In other words, I can't grow without grace because grace means God's given me some stuff that I didn't have in and of myself, right? It, when you think about it, when you think about it, grace is, is like fertilizer because sometimes you're trying to grow a plant, but it needs some nourishment that it doesn't readily have access to. It doesn't possess it in and of itself. And so what you do is you put the fertilizer with the plant so that it gets the nourishment that it didn't already have. That's exactly what God does in our life. In order for us to grow into who he wants us to be, God's got to give us some stuff we don't actually have already, right? And so God starts fertilizing us with all these good nutrients and things that we're going to have to have to produce the fruit that he wants to produce. And that's called grace. It's, just, it's saying God's doing something in my life I can't do for me. He works all things together for good. What does that mean? He took my screwed up mess and made something good out of it. He's put some fertilizer on the mess I just made. And so Paul's saying, hey, we got to 
Got to have grace if we're going to grow. The next thing he said is, if we're going to grow, um, we've got to have truth. We've got to have truth. Look, this is what Paul says. He says, Philippians 3.12, he said, I don't mean to say that I've already achieved these things or that I've already reached perfection or you could say maturity. He said, but I'm pressing on. And so Paul's being honest. Here's what he's saying. I'm not there yet. Here's where I need to go, but here's where I am. He's being honest because Paul is dealing with truth now, and truth is this thing called reality. And I found that some people love reality and some people not so much. Pastoring has taught me this. Some people love reality. They want to know what's really going on, and some people don't. You know people like this. You're friends with them on Facebook. Right? And somebody tries to show them some reality, and they're like, nah, nah, nah. I mean, I've sat and talked, sir, you know, if you keep doing this, your wife's going to leave you. No, no, she's got to submit. Okay, dummy. (laughs) I always like to ask this question. So how's that working out for you? Because you understand you're in my office because this thing's about to fall apart. Just hold on to your crazy reality, man. A year later, I can't believe she left me. Well, see, what we're doing is we're dealing with reality we didn't want to deal with last year. Well, 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 well. And that's what, what it is. See, see, can I be honest with you? Most of the time when, when, when we want our life to improve, we look for what God could do for us, not how we could change. Just give you a moment. In other words, there's a struggle at work, and we think, well, obviously I need a new job because my boss is crazy. He wants me to be here on time, get my work done, right? Or, or we have, have a problem in a relationship, and we think, hmm, obviously they need to change. And if they can't change, I'll just find somebody else. Listen, honey, after eight relationships that are broken in two years, you may want to grasp the reality that they weren't all wrong. Right? May want to say, hey, what's the common denominator in all these messes? Oh, everywhere I go, I am. Right? And so we start saying, God, I want my life to improve. Instead of looking at how we can improve us, we look at how he could improve our life. But, but can, I, can I be honest with you? Sometimes... Sometimes the things we actually want are actually the fruit of our own growth. Right? Like I want, man, I want to raise. I want a new position. God, you got to bless me. I want to be a supervisor, a manager, a general manager, senior manager, whatever it is. God, I'm faithful. I even tithe. God, I want you to move me up the ladder. And God's like, well, you need to come to work on time. Uh, get your work done. Stop all the gossip and backbiting. And all of a sudden, God's saying, hey, if you'll come to work on time and be faithful and be efficient and have a good attitude and be a help to the others around you, you'll actually produce the character of a person I could promote to that position. Um, one of the new things I'm doing this year, I love it so far, but now I love it all years. With my oldest son, we have coffee Thursdays. We have coffee talk, coffee time. <laughs> 
And so we head to the coffee shop on Thursday evenings, and, and we're just hanging out. One of the things I wanted to really do this year is all the time my, life, my kids have to live in my world. And this year I'm just trying to live in my kids' world a little bit. And so I have one-on-one time with each of my kids um, on, a, on a regular basis. And so my oldest is every Thursday we go to coffee time. So if you see us having coffee, don't come talk to us. We're having coffee time, all right? Make an appointment, I'll talk with you. But he's got a standing appointment. All right, and so... Um, and so, but we were talking the other day and he was talking about a situation at school and he's wanting to get into some new stuff, some upper level classes and talk to a counselor about how he could do that. And, and he's like, but dad, you know, it's none of this is going to take place until like next semester. I got to go through this whole semester where I'm at before I can get to where I want to be. Now there's, a, when you're a preacher, it's hard not to talk right there. <laughs> and so I was like, you know what, son? Anytime there's the delayed gratification, you're building character. Anytime there's delayed gratification, you're building character. See, you don't, we talk about character traits like, man, that guy's honest. How did he become honest? That's a trait. How was that character built in him? Well, someone dropped the $5 bill. He gave it back to him. He made a mistake and he actually took responsibility and said, that was me. I made that mistake. And it was that delay, some of the delayed gratification in his life that actually produced in him the character to get him where he was. And I said, so anytime we have delayed, this is the problem with a lot of us. We don't want, like, God, I prayed. Why didn't it happen today? Because God's like, it'd kill you if it happened today. If I brought you that person today, you'd run them off. If I showed you who he was today, you'd scare him to death. I'm trying to build some character so when he shows up, you'll know what? to do with him. If I gave you that raise today, you'd just get another credit card. I'm trying to help you. Man, that's good preaching. It came out a little strong. I need to say right here, I love you and God loves you, but it was good preaching. (laughs) See, sometimes the things we want, we're actually not mature enough to handle. And so God's trying to build our character. So that he can actually bless us with the desires of our heart. Did you ever think about that? Maybe in your life, God's actually not saying no. He's just saying, not yet. So we're talking about truth. See, we're talking about Paul. Paul's seeing this relationship between what God's saying and where he's at. Because when we're talking about truth, there's kind of two kinds of truth. There's God's truth and there's our truth. Right? There's, there's God's truth, and, and that's what we call reality. Like, <clears throat> God, God speaks in reality. He shows us reality. God's all, he keeps it real. He was the first one to keep it real. All right? He's telling us the truth. And, and when we think about it, we should accept God's reality. And you know why? We should accept God's reality when it comes to life because God is life and the life giver. Do you know why when it breaks, you call the manufacturer? A car breaks down, they're like, well, I got to call Toyota or I got to call GM. Do you know why they call the manufacturer? Because the person who made it is most qualified to tell you what's wrong with it. What if we could apply that to God who is life and created all life and say, if it's not working out, I should see the manufacturer. Maybe if I tried it his way and quit asking him to bless it my way, because there's a way God says there's a way marriage works. 
And there's a way finances work. And there's a way relationships work. There's a way health works. There's a way your mind works. There's a way all these things work. But believe it or not, I built it to work a certain way. And I can't bless it your way. But if you do it my way, I can make it work. You can pour sugar in a gas tank all day long. All you're going to do is destroy an engine. But if you put the right kind of gasoline in that thing, it's going to fire up and run. And so there's God's, there's God's truth. There's his truth. There's his reality. And his truth is, is two things. First of all, it's absolute. And second of all, his truth is always prescriptive. His truth tells us how to fix it. Like he won't come fix it for us most of the time, but he'll tell us how to fix it. And so his truth, and then there's our truth. And our truth is kind of, it should be. Now, if, if, if we do this right, our truth should tell us where we're at in relation to his truth. So Paul's saying, here's my truth. I'm here, and God wants me here. Now, if we're foolish or in denial, we just say, no, I'm right where God wants me. Knowing we're not, but don't want to deal with us, so yep, I'm right here. I'm doing everything right. Whoop, right up here. Right? But, but if we do this right, we're like, no, no, no. If we're in grace, because you've got to have grace and truth. Jesus was full of grace and truth. You know that? He, he didn't have more truth than grace, and he didn't have more grace than truth. He was full of grace and truth. Because if all I have is truth, right, that's going to be harsh, condemning, judgmental, critical, and all I'm going to do is pretend to be okay because I don't want to be judged by truth. If all I have is grace, then I'm screwed up, and I'm just going to stay this way. I screwed up. Yeah, let's all stay screwed up. But see, grace and truth. See, grace says, I love you exactly how you are. And then truth says, I love you too much to leave you there. See, grace says, I'll accept you just the way you are. Truth says, but we're going to work on some things. We're not going to stay exactly where we're at. Because we're going to use God's reality and our reality and merge those two ideas so we know where he's wanting to take us and where we're actually at so we can make a plan. And that's what Paul's saying. He's saying, guys, here's where I'm at and here's where I'm going. Here's where I'm at and here's where I'm going. And can I say, sometimes we look at this negative like, like well, here's where I'm at. Well, I'm jacked up, screwed up, you know, made mistakes and da, 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 da. Here's where God. But what if it's the positive? What if it's like God actually thinks more of me? Instead of always hearing those condemning voices, what if it's like, here I'm at, and I don't think that I can get there, and I don't understand why God has this plan, and I don't understand why God's calling me to go higher, and I don't even believe in myself, and then we realize, but God believes in me, and what if I just believed in me the way God believes, and I look in the mirror and see a mess, he looks in the mirror and sees a miracle, and God's working in my life, and if I'll just trust him and leave negative voices behind and condemnation and guilt, if I'll get that stuff out of my past, then maybe I can believe I'm who God wants me to be. That's right. Jesus talks about responding to truth or responding to reality. It's kind of interesting. But John 3, 20, it says, for everyone practicing evil hates the light and they don't move toward the light because their deeds would be exposed. And then he says, verse 21, he says, but he who does the truth, see, it's prescriptive. He who does the truth is absolute. He who does the truth comes to the light that his deeds may be clearly seen that they've been done in God. Here's what Jesus says. There's two types of people. There are wise people and there are foolish people. And here's what he says. Here's what a wise person is. A wise person 
when, when the light hits them and they see all of a sudden, like, here's what God is and here's where I'm at. Here's what God's saying. Here's what I'm thinking. And they see, like, here I am in, in view of God's truth. The wise people, when, when the light of truth and reality shines on them, they adjust themselves to the light and move toward it. Like, God's showing me something. And, yeah, it's a little ugly, but I'm going to step on into it because God's gracious. Right? I'm going to adjust myself to the light. But then Jesus said, here's what foolish people do. When the light of reality and truth hit them, they adjust the light. Like I, I'll, I'll get the light a little farther away from it. Yeah, I know everybody in my, my life group said I shouldn't be in this relationship, and it's really not moral, and it's not healthy, but I just don't want to be alone, so I'll just get away from life group. <laughs> and so, so I hang out in the club and stuff. I'll just adjust the light. I'll come up with why the light must be shining on somebody else. Surely it's not shining on me. It's got to be their problem. It's got to be my boss. It's got to be my boyfriend. It's got to be my girlfriend. It's got to be my husband. It's got to be shining on somebody else. It can't be shining on me. And what Jesus said, that's, that's foolish. Because you know what that ensures? You'll still be in the same place next time, if not worse. But wise people say, I'm going to run to that light. That's what David said. Remember King David, search me, O God, and know my heart and see if there's any wicked way in me. What was he saying? I'm going to adjust myself to your light. Do you know how you grow? You just keep adjusting yourself to his light. Because what I found, just like Paul said, here's where I need to go, here's where I am. You know what I found? That's the way God works in all of our lives. None of us have made it there yet. And, and so God's saying, here's where you need to go and here's where you are. And you know what happens is you, you, you adjust yourself to truth and you get there. And then God says, "Woo!" and he kind of throws you a party and he blesses you. And then he says, oh, by the way, now here's where you need to go. Because he knows if he showed us where we really needed to go, it would overwhelm us. And so God does these little baby steps just to help us keep growing. And he's all merciful and gracious and kind. And you just keep adjusting yourself to the light. And you just keep being wise. And you just keep looking back and saying, man, I'm a completely different person. Things are getting... And you just keep going with God. Paul said you have to have grace and you have to have truth. And then here's the last thing Paul said you have to have. You got to have a plan. You got to have a plan. Philippians 3.13 says, no, dear brothers and sisters, I've not achieved it. He said, I'm not there. But then he says, but I focus on one thing. In other words, Paul said, but I've got a plan on how to get there. I'm not there, but I've got a plan on how to get there. He said, I'm going to forget some things. I'm going to hang on to some things. And then he said, I'm going to press through some things. You see that? He said, I'm not there. But instead of waiting on God to come by in his big cloud limousine with cherubim and angels and grapes and fruit and little fans to pick me up and carry me to where I'm supposed to be, instead of waiting on God to get me there, God and I have made a plan on how I'm going to get there. Because I've met a lot of people, and I don't mean offense to anybody, I've met a lot of people still waiting on God to get them there. And God's still waiting on them to follow him. And he's gracious. He'll wait. Like, he'll take a step. They're still sitting back there waiting on the limo. And he'll just stand here. <laughs> and they're back here, doobie-doo, waiting on the cloud limo and the angels and the escort to where I'm supposed to be. And God's up here and he's like, <laughs> look up here. You know, I mean, it's like, it's one of those things. And so Paul said, I made a plan. You know what? Um, Paul said two things he said that are intentional on his part. 
Now, God's calling him to, new, to this new place, but God, Paul did something intentional on his part. He said, the first thing is, I made a plan. I intentionally sat down and made a plan of how I'm going to get from here to there, right? I made a plan. That's intentional. The second thing he said, I'm going to press. In other words, I'm going to work the plan. Like if you want to see change in your life, you know what you do? You sit down with God and you make a plan and you work the plan. You make a plan and you work the plan. You make a plan and you work the plan. You make the plan and you work the plan. Right? That's how you move forward. And that's what Paul said. He said, I made a plan and now I'm going to intentionally work the plan. Paul said, I made a plan. That's one thing I do. I made the plan. Then he said, but now I'm going to work the plan. I'm going to press. I'm going to press on. Right? When I talk about pressing, I've been to a gym before. They do a lot of pressing in there. Right? Right? They, they press. They got bench presses and incline and decline presses and dumbbell presses and leg presses. You can press anything at a gym. If you're me, you can press the panic button when you pass out. But anyways, you can press anything at the gym. Paul said, I'm going to press. In other words, there's a little sweat involved. If I'm going to really get to where God wants, remember he's in prison, a little, he's pressing right now. I may be in prison, but I'm not stopping. I'm pressing on. He's pressing. You know, when you work out now, there's all these different fads in working out. And I'm sure you've tried them too, but um, they have this, this, this one that came out, I don't know, years two ago. It's called functional fitness. Y'all ever heard of functional fitness? Functional fitness is, is where it's about adaptability and application. In other words, the moves that I do, I'm trying to relate to my real life. So they do like, like kettlebell swings, and then they do these things where they get down and they get back up again, they get knocked down and they get up again, they get, get knocked down. And, or uh, Righteous man falls seven times. Let me Christianize it. Righteous man falls seven times, get back up. No, seriously. They have ways of getting down and get back up. Some of them they call burpees. They have nothing to do with indigestion. They're actually from the pit of hell, but, but they do these burpees things. Right? But all these movements that they're doing are about adapting and applying to the regular life that they actually live. And then there's beach fitness, right? And the beach fitness, that you've seen those guys, they look like little divas. You know, they're all like this, but then they get over in the mirror and they're like, <laughs> y'all see that? I don't think it looked like that yesterday, man. I got that cut right there. You've seen them. They're the guy with the gallon jug of water because they're trying to make their kidneys explode in an hour, right? And they're sitting there, and they can't just like, you want to get a drink of water, we just, you know, or go to the water fountain. No, these guys got a jug of water, and then they get, get, got to get a drink, but it's kind of like, <laughs> <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Because beach fitness is not so much about the function as it is the look, that might could apply to church because there's some people that's got church fitness. They got the beach because they got the Bible all worn out because they want you to know that they've read it all. They were jamming hill songs so they can sing all the songs with their eyes closed. They know when we're supposed to pray, when we're supposed to stand. They wear, they, they wear the right clothes. They get everything right. But, ne- but last week, they got a pink slip and you can't even find them in church today because although they'd read a bunch of scripture, they didn't apply any of them. 
They were, just, they were just doing some things for your benefit so you could see them flexing on Sunday. But when life came, they didn't have any application. They didn't have any adaptability. And then you got somebody in the church. They got saved last week, and they don't know any scripture at all. They just know one verse. My God shall supply all of my needs according to his riches and glory. They got the same pink slip, but on Sunday, they're in church worshiping because they said, I only know one verse, but I'm going to apply it and trust God. I may not have the spiritual flex yet, but I got some function and adaptability in my life. I'm good preaching. <laughs> and Paul said, I'm pressing. It may, not, it may look ugly, but I'm pressing. may not have big buys and tries and may not be Hans and Franz yet. <laughs> going to pump you up. Right? may not look like them, but I'm pressing. I'm working it. I got my plan and I'm working my plan. And really, that's what we need to do. Let me give you some application. Every, every year I ask my staff um, to do this, and they all do. They're awesome. Um, but I started doing this a few years ago where I made what I called a growth plan. And that's kind of what we've been doing for three weeks. And a growth plan is like, where do I want to go next year? That's our resolution. Is there anything I need to cut out or stop? That's our cutting back to the next level. And then we make a plan. So my vision, okay, here are my goals. Here are my growth goals. I'll give you an example of mine um, because it's uh, um, <laughs> the only thing I can think of. But anyways, I'll give you an example of mine. Like last year, God said something. I had to rebuke him a few times because I'm not sure he meant it. And, and then he kept saying it. And first I thought it was the devil. Has God ever spoken to you and you thought, it got to be the devil? You know, because God told me, he said, I want you to grow this year emotionally. I'm like, God, I don't even like that word. Obviously, we've never met God. Do you know who you're talking to? And so he said, I want you to grow emotionally. And so, and so that became one of my stretch goals, right? And so I had my vision, okay? I'm going to grow emotionally. I, I cut back some things that need to be cut back. And then I said, but now I've got to make a plan on how I'm going to do this. So I'm in a leadership group. And so I brought my leadership group and said, okay, here's one of my goals for the year. And I talked to Julie and, and, and even shared some with some of the staff and then made a plan. I had to go see a counselor and talk to a counselor. And, and that was actually really good, but, but got some coaching. And then every month I had people like, you know, and, and, but, but it's got to kind of be measurable. And, and so that one was a little bit ambiguous. So what I said was, they said, well, where do you think you're at right now? Like one to 10, where do you think you're at emotionally? I said, you know, my emotional health, my emotional maturity, however you want to say it, probably about a three. That's, I think that's what it's at. If I'm, if I'm judging me, I'm about, I said, where do you want to be by the end of the year? I said, like a five to a six. Like if I could get there, I would. I, and so every, you know, every, every month I go check in with my leadership group. And, uh, and they'd be like, how are you doing this month? I'm like, well, I went from a three to 2.5, but I'm doing great, you know? And then I went to a two and then I started back the other way. And then I'm like, man, I have three and a half, man. I really feel like I'm growing. And in order to do that, I had to read some books, talk to a counselor, bring some people in. But I, I constructed this plan around the growth that I wanted to see. And that's what I'm asking you. How do you want to grow this year? Well, I want to grow my marriage. Well, don't sit here and hope all year your marriage grows. Put some fertilizer on it. You understand what I'm saying? Make a plan. Like I'm going to walk it. You know what I'm saying? I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to read a book with my wife. I'm going to have a devotion time. We're going to go see a counselor. We're going to talk to our life group leader, whatever it is. Now I'm making a plan like, man, I really want to prosper this year. Yeah, that's awesome. But don't sit around and play the lottery. This year, make a plan like, hey, our family doesn't have a budget. Well, hey, make a budget. Really hard to save money if you don't have a budget, unless you just got tons of it. And that's probably not most of our problems, right? And so it's really hard. So I'm going to make a budget. And then you know what? I'm going to go shopping without a credit card. I'm going to like leave it at home. I'm going to cut it up. 
It got really quiet. And, and, then, and then you know what? God says, if I tithe, he opens the windows of heaven. I'm going to try that. And now I'm going to construct a plan based on what I want to do this year. Like, I want to really move forward in my calling. Well, identify what it is. See, like Paul, how far are you from it? Tell people what you're called from. Figure out what resources or people or classes or things you need to take to get there. Take your life seriously because nobody else will. That's good. But if you'll do that, if you'll start that resolution and make those cutbacks and then make your plan and make it measurable if you can. Like I'm here and I want to be here. I want to grow this year. I want to read four books. I want to win five people to Christ. However it is you want to grow, make it measurable. Bring your life group into it if you want. But if you'll do this, this is how you got to make your plan and work your plan. This is how you get to the next level. You got grace. You got truth. Hopefully you got a vision and you made cutbacks. Be like Paul. Make a plan and press it out. Work your plan because this time next year, you'll be astonished at what God did in your life. It will be amazing. He's got good plans for you. He's calling you to a new level. He's just asking you if you want to go on the adventure. And all you got to do is make your plan and work your plans. That sound good? Can you give God a praise? Because he's got good stuff for you this year. Yeah, he's good. Go ahead and stand up. Stand up. Yeah, let's just, let's take a moment. Is that a good word? How many are going to work your plan? You're going to make your plan. You're going to press it out. You ready to press some things out? Yeah, we don't need beach muscles, but we'd like to have a little functional faith, right? Let's bow our heads just where we're at and like to end our service just by taking a moment and just ask God where you're at, just in your own way. Say, God, what do you want to speak to me today? What do you want to speak to me today?